0: We are going to continue our series simply called Faith. We're on week two of this series called Faith. And last week, we we started out our discussion on this idea of faith uh, by looking at what is saving faith. What does it mean to possess saving faith? It's kind of a starting block for where we're going to go on this discussion uh, today. Today, obviously, is Red Sunday. And so what we're going to look at today is how we can use our faith as sort of a game plan how it's useful for us. Not just that I am a follower of Jesus now, not that I just have or possess saving faith and I'm okay, but what does that mean from this point forward, from that moment of decision forward? What's a game plan? What's the process of faith look like? And so we're going to be looking at a very uh, famous Old Testament story. We're going to be working through it kind of verse by verse this morning and looking at an example of what faith can look like in your life. And it's, it's kind of big, and it might be shocking. It might shake you a little bit, the things we're going to talk about and the degree of faith that we're going to look at here and try to measure ourselves up against. But hopefully the challenge is good for us. As much as I want the Chiefs to win, a challenge is good for them every once in a while, right? We don't need them to have cupcake wins every week. We want them maybe even this week. It'll be a bit of a challenge against a pretty good team. That's good because it's going to help them to see where their deficiencies are. It's going to help them to see where they can improve. It's going to help them to see a different strategy maybe for the next time, the next game. And so hopefully today as we look at this sort of process or this game plan of faith, it will help point us in the right direction on how we can effectively live out our faith. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22, and so if you have a Bible or the YouVersion app that you want to use, um, you can open it up to there. We're just going to be kind of working our way through most of this chapter today, looking at a story involving Abraham and his son Isaac. Genesis 22. Let's start it out today, the first couple verses, and it just this story just starts out with a bang. I mean, if you like action from the get-go, this is your kind of story. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Here we go. Take your son, your only son, yes Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. Whoa, <laughs> right? Like it's intense from the very beginning here. So what we see first here is God gives Abraham an opportunity, Faith, an opportunity for faith. Now, it doesn't really look. That might be a weird word to use, right? This is not. This is crazy talk. Why would God do that? It's an opportunity for faith. It really, it really looks more like a risk, right? It sounds more like a test. And it even says in verse one, God tested Abraham with this. I mentioned this a few weeks ago on a totally different topic, but it applies here today. So I'll mention it again just briefly. Scripture does tell us God does not and even cannot tempt us with evil. Okay, he can't tempt us. However, God can and often does test us. He tests our faith all the time. We face circumstances that test our faith all the time. What are we made of? How committed are we? How far will we go? What links will we believe? God. So he, he, that, that word's used here. He tests Abraham's faith. And what God asks of Abraham uh, on the surface, it seems crazy, right? S- human sacrifice. That's a little strange. It's a little weird. And when you read throughout the rest of the Bible, the Old and New Testament, anytime time human sacrifice is mentioned, it's always in the negative. So it seems like God's going against what he would normally do here, And we'll see at the end, if you know a story, you know that there's kind of a loophole God has here, and it's okay. Uh, But it seems like a crazy thing to ask. Give up your son, sacrifice him. And then it also seems kind of cruel, and God sort of rubs it in Abraham's face here. He says, hey, take your son, your only son, whom you love so much, and it's like rubbing it in. Like, I just want you to see how connected you are to this thing, this person I'm going to ask you to sacrifice to give up. It seems cruel because he says, your only son. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, you know that's not technically true, right? Abraham has an older son named Ishmael, but that was sort of a, Abraham took things into his own hands, and tried to force God's hand and God's will. And that's just not what God had in mind. So what we see here is Isaac is not, is not his only son, but it is what we would see as the son of promise. Because when Abraham first encounters God, years and years before this, God says, Hey, Abraham, I'm calling you to start a mighty nation. Generation after generation will follow after you, and you'll become as numerous as the grains of sand on the sea. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But yet he has no children. Specific, and even if he had children, he has no son anyway. So it's not going to pass through unless he has a son. And so he waits and he waits and he waits for this promise to happen. Well, God, how are you going to do this if I don't have an heir? How, is I, how am I going to have any descendants if I don't have any descendants? And so he waits and waits, but God promises him this is going to happen. And after years of waiting, God gives him this son, Isaac, in his old age. He's nearly 100 years old when Isaac is born. So he is promised, and then he's the son of promise. So through him is going to start this ripple effect that's going to go on through generations. But again, it seems cruel what God's doing here in Genesis 22, because how is this promise going to come true if I burn to death the promise? How is that going to happen? So right off the bat, as weird as this may sound, God is giving Abraham an opportunity for faith. It's a weird one. It's a big leap but it's an opportunity for faith. So how will Abraham respond to this opportunity? Verse three, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He probably couldn't sleep, is my guess. He probably didn't sleep at all that night. He got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. So here we see Abraham's response is obedience. Here we see obedience of faith, the obedience of faith. And there's two aspects of this verse, one of which I just noticed this week. It's weird how many times I've read this story, even referenced this story, preached it, and I noticed something this week I'd never thought of before. The first thing we see here is that his response was immediate. The next morning, he gets up and makes plans to do what God told him to do. The crazy thing, the cruel thing, the, the thing you think God would never ask you to do. God, Abraham got up the next morning. He didn't hesitate. He didn't wait. He didn't debate about it. He didn't argue about it. He didn't pray about it. He didn't worry about it. The next morning, he got up and made plans to do this thing. Obedience of faith, immediate. The second thing that I just noticed this week is the second part of that verse. So it's, and it's, it's a, a proactive approach to obedience. It says, he got up and he went ahead and chopped the wood ahead of time. I think that's really interesting. So there's, there's two possibilities here uh, that I read about and thought about this week. One of them is, it's possible Abraham kind of knew the area they were going to be traveling to. And he may have known, hey, there's not a lot of lumber. There's not a lot of trees around. So I have to go, I have to be prepared to do this. I can't go without the firewood if I'm going to make a burnt offering. So he went ahead and did it uh, ahead of time. He was proactive. The second possibility that I find fascinating is the humanness of Abraham that's possibly being shown here. The fact that, okay, if I do it now, if I rip the Band-Aid off, I'll go through with it. But if I have to wait until the moment, like, because they travel for several days, we'll see in a second. If I travel and then have to wait and then have to chop up the wood, maybe I'm going to chicken out. Like, maybe my humanness is going to get the best of me. And I'm be like, okay, God, I've had time to think about it. You know what? I'm not prepared you know, oh, shucks, the luck, you know, I don't have any wood here, too bad, God, we're going to have to postpone this fire-burning kid thing until later. It's possible that Abraham Abraham was like, okay, if I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it. If I don't obey now, I probably won't later. The longer I think over it, the longer I stew over it, it's just not going to happen. So he was proactive in his obedience. And we'll talk about this in several weeks in kind of a follow-up series to this one, But I want to mention this today because it goes with this story specifically. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith does not mean all my questions are magically answered. Faith is I have those fears, I have those doubts, I have those questions, but I'm going to push through despite them. Okay, so if you have all your questions answered, that's not faith, that's history. Because you know how it's going to turn out. You've read the end of the story. There's nothing to lose here. There's nothing to res- to risk here. There's not really faith involved. If we wait for all the answers and all the doubts to subside and all the fear to go away, that's not faith. It's history. It's us living this pre-planned thing out that I already know how it's going to end up. So living by faith does not mean the absence of fear, doubt, or questions but it's, I'm going to push through this anyway by faith in faith. That's the obedience of faith. Let's pick it up. Verse 4, next verse. So he's, he's ready to go, and they start on their journey. It says, on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Now, this is what I call the agony of faith. The agony of faith. So he's prepared everything. He's got this he's got his kid ready to sacrifice. He's got the wood, he's got the donkey, he's got the servants, he's got his, you know, entourage with him. They travel for 3 days and they're not there yet. It kind of stops in the middle. He says it's still a distance off. Can you imagine how agonizing this trip is for Abraham anyway? And now that they've traveled for several days, man, if I go back now, it's I'm over, maybe over halfway, but I see it. Okay, it's there. Woo, it's getting real. It's it's coming up. It's this is not like a, oh God's just not going to make me do this. Maybe like it's this is reality. That's agonizing. His his weight, the journey, the travel, and seeing it still there in the distance is agonizing. He's probably thinking, God, are you going to really make me do this? God, are you going to bail me out here? I really could use a your. Favor here, really? Could you? You know, I won't ask for anything else ever again. If you just never said that to God before, I just need this one thing, God, and then I won't bother you ever again. (laughs) Okay? He's probably asking those kinds of questions. God, are you going to come through? But faith, with all the doubts and questions and unknowns that we just talked about, faith requires waiting, and that can be agonizing. Could be something that you've prayed for for a long time, and you believe God will do it, and you have faith that God will do it, but He hasn't done it yet. Could be agonizing. It can be terrifying. It can be, God, I don't know how much longer I can hold on here. I don't. I, it's in the distance, and I believe it by faith, and and I, I can see maybe a glimmer of hope, but I need more than a glimmer. I've been glimmering for years. I need more than a little bit of hope in my heart. I, I need a sign here. I need an answer. I need to hear something. I need to see something. It can be agonizing, but faith requires waiting, and it's agonizing. So the question that Abraham had to deal with that we have to wrestle with is, will we believe while we wait? Will we still believe through the agony, uh, through the fear, through the unknown, through, oh, it's been a long time. God, I don't know. Like, is there like a, you know, a timetable? Is there an expiration date on this miracle that I need? Like, uh, do I have to do something different for you to come through? Like, what's going on in this? I'm not hearing anything. It's just silence. It's just static. I don't know what's going on. It can be agonizing, but that's what Faith is most of the time is waiting for what we haven't seen yet. Verse five. Let's look at the next verse here, the next part of this story. Verse five. Stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, "The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back." I'm going to read that again. Stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, "The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we." will come right back so either abraham is crazy or he's lying to them and himself or he has that much faith only three options are possible here either he's completely delusional yeah we're gonna go and you know i know what god said so and we haven't no one really knows as far as we know besides abraham what exactly is going to happen He hasn't sat the servants down and said, hey, I'm going to go slaughter my son and then we'll come back. He doesn't say that. He says, we're going to worship and then we'll both be back in a little while. Well, he hasn't necessarily told Isaac yet, which is going to be fun in just a minute. Uh, He hasn't told Isaac really what's going on yet. We're going to go up to the mountain to worship God with the burnt offering. It's you, Isaac. He didn't do that, right? He didn't, as far as we know, he hasn't told him the little secret yet. He's withheld this information that's pretty crucial for Isaac. But he says, we're going to come back. So either he's totally crazy He's, he's a liar because he's telling him something that's not going to happen, or he just has that much faith. What we see here is what I call speaking faith. Speaking faith. And here's, here's a truth I want us to grab a hold of this morning. Faith strengthens as faith is spoken. We saw that a little bit last week with saving faith, and so I want to reference uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10. The, the moment of salvation involves speaking. So Paul says in Romans 10, he says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So where faith is concerned, speaking is is one step beyond just believing. Okay. And it's even in this moment of salvation. That's why, again, you know, we'll, You maybe pray a prayer to receive Christ. I'll just say this: nothing about the actual words that you're saying, speaking them, does anything. But it's the faith involved in believing what you're professing that is everything. That's why it's important. So, it's believing is great, but speaking strengthens faith. Now, I will be careful here. I'm not. There there is a, a a movement, a sect of Christianity of the Christian Church. It's called like the Word of Faith movement. It's not what I'm talking about. So, if you're familiar with that, just Rest your hearts, because that's not what we're talking about. If you don't know what that is, praise God. Good for you. Don't Google that. All right, don't look it up. No. But we're not talking, so, so we're not talking about if I speak it, God will do it. Or if I speak it, I can change anything. In Romans, it does talk about um, speaking things into existence that are not as though they are. But what Paul's saying is God does that. You look at this, I read it last night, just to double check and triple check that I'm getting this right. So when he references that in Romans about speaking things as though, that are not as though they are, he's talking about God. God alone has the power to make things happen. That's how creation happened. You know, there was nothing and God said, let there be. He spoke and it happened. Okay? So we don't have that power. You don't have this power within you to just make things happen. And with that comes the danger of well if I say it'll happen that means God is on the hook he has to make it happen. Faith is not twisting God's arm. I don't it's just like I I can't do enough things to be saved, well I can't believe hard enough to make God do anything. He's going to do what he wants to do, he's going to do what he wills to do and faith is involved and in, to some degree as we read it, mostly in the Old Testament, faith can really have an effect on things, but it doesn't obligate God. Your faith doesn't obligate God to do anything. So when we speak faith, it's not because, well, God, I said it, so now you got to come through. In fact, we usually do the opposite, or I do. Sometimes I won't speak something in faith just in case it doesn't happen, and that's probably just as bad. Why am I trying to, to protect God? He doesn't need that. He doesn't need me to buffer him at all. If I, I'm going to believe God to do it, and he either will or won't according to his own sovereignty. But speaking faith strengthens faith. And really, in, in essence, that's what prayer is. Many times, prayer is speaking faith. Because really, a lot of times what prayer is, is, is prayer is reminding yourself of God's power and God's presence and God's promises it's more of a mental exercise for you than it is really for anything else. And also what prayer can do is very powerful in that prayer can also remind the enemy of God's power and presence and promises. Because every once in a while, I'm sure Satan gets pretty full of himself. He's like, yep, yeah, God's not going to help you at all. Ha <laughs> ha, you know, or I'm so strong and God can't do anything or you can't do anything. So sometimes speaking faith in through prayer in prayer can remind him, hey, you're you're nothing, like you were created just like me, so just back off, sit down, and just watch what God's going to do. And really, another thing that prayer then can do through speaking faith is telling God that, hey, I still believe. Like, I haven't forgotten, I haven't, you know, failed, I'm, I'm still hanging on, maybe by a very thin thread, but God, I believe. Again, not to make him feel obligated, not to boss him around, but just to, hey, okay, speaking faith strengthens faith. Speaking faith strengthens faith. Faith. So that's an important thing. That's what Abraham does here. See, at first, he hears what God wants him to do and he does a few things to prepare. He starts on the journey, but it's very internal. But then in verse 5, he speaks faith. He knows, I'm supposed to sacrifice my son. That's not going to end with him being alive, but yet he tells the servants, We'll be back in just a little bit. He's speaking now. He's speaking. Faith. And that has an effect here that we'll see in the next few verses. Let's pick it up at verse number six. So it's just Abraham and Isaac now. It's go time. So here's what happens. Verse six Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Smart kid. Abraham says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Again, he's speaking faith. And they both walked on together. Here it comes. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So because Abraham had faith and then he spoke faith, his faith became contagious. The thing we see here is contagious faith. Because not only does Abraham have faith and show faith, but now Isaac is showing faith. Why would you say that? Because he let his dad tie him up and put him on this altar and start lighting the fire. Like he, okay, like he's, he has faith. And we don't know Isaac's age here. There's an ancient Jewish tradition that they have this formula figured out. I won't take the time to go into it. But the ancient uh, Jewish uh, belief is that Isaac would have been about 37 years old. We don't, we don't know that. We do know he's old enough to carry a bunch of wood on his back while climbing up a mountain for three days. So we know he's, he's a pretty strong dude. So I want you to imagine this now. They have the altar built. Everything's great, but Dad, we're still missing uh, the sacrifice. And while you know his dad's got this rope, and he's got this look in his eye, and Isaac's like, "Whoa, Dad, what are you doing?" You know, this is no, no. And I can just imagine him like, you know, chasing Isaac around with this rope. You know, "Come here, son." You know, like a cattle, like a rancher or something. And Isaac's like, "Over my dead body!" And Abram's like, "That's kind of the idea, son. You know, go ahead and lay down and let me tie you up and burn you uh, to death." So. Either way, we know Abraham's old. He's over 100 years old. So even if even if Isaac's my son's age, Jackson's going to have a pretty good time, you know, trying to not get wrestled and tied up by a 100-year-old man. So it doesn't he's strong enough to carry wood and trek up a mountain for three days. He's going to be pretty fit. He's going to put up a fight. But he doesn't. Isaac doesn't seem to resist at all. There's not like this story here where he had to wrestle him down or had to drug him or had to knock him over the head with something. It's like, no, he tied him up. And laid him on the altar. So it's contagious. Abraham's faith, belief in God, and the promise, and God's provision was so strong. And he spoke it so strongly and so forcefully that it rubbed off on his son. Somehow enough for him to go through with this plan with his crazy dad. It's crazy, but he did it. So here's how this works for us. The stronger our faith is, the more contagious our faith becomes. The stronger your faith is, the more contagious your faith becomes. Because you may have something going on in your life or several things going on in your life. And yet, if you have that strong conviction, that core belief, that, that firm faith in your life to believe God anyway, others will eventually take notice of that faith. It will have an impact on others in your life that know your story and your situation and your struggle. And they're like, whoa, if they can believe with all they're dealing with, maybe I can give this faith thing a chance for me. Like if I know what they're really wrestling with and they're still holding on tight and they still believe in this God thing, maybe there's something to that. It seems very real to them. It seems very genuine for them. It's not just a thing they do like for an hour once a week. It's like how they really live, like by faith day after day, moment by moment, through struggle and through tragedy and through strife and all the things that life throws at them. They still believe that strongly. That oozes out of us. It has an effect. It becomes contagious for other people to then either come to faith through our example, through our faith, or strengthen their own faith. Like, Man, maybe I should believe God a little bit more. Maybe I haven't thought enough about how powerful he is or how wonderful he is, and it can really help others around us to see the reality of faith because it's contagious. The stronger our faith is, the more contagious our faith becomes. Then we get to verse number 10. It says, Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. So here we see what I call the follow-through of faith. The follow-through of faith. Abraham put his money where his mouth was. Abraham believed God. You would say, well, how? Like, how could he do this? How could he believe, first of all, that God even told him to do this? That's crazy enough. And then how can he follow through on this crazy plan, this crazy request? How could one normal person have this much faith? Again, because if Isaac dies, the promise dies with him, right? Because the other son is kind of out of the picture. He is not the son of the promise. This is it. He's got one shot. Abraham is giving, in essence, his only son, and if he does, the whole plan is, is over. It's gone. The hope is lost. As we read about this story in Hebrews chapter 11, which is an awesome story about people of faith, here's what the writer of Hebrews says about this account. Hebrews 11, starting at verse number 17, says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, he had already received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Here's how Abraham had this kind of faith. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. That is faith. That God would ask me to do something so crazy, so cruel, that if I actually do this, the promise that comes with him is gone. Well, so Abraham's knee-jerk reaction is just to be like, okay, God, if you have me kill him, you can bring him back to life. Probably not my first reaction when I hear God ask me to do something like that. Like, I'm probably not going to think the only thing that probably never would happen is the only thing that would happen. Abraham believed God so much, and hear hear this, in Abraham's spirit, as much as this pained him, because, I mean, no dad would want to ever think about this sort of event happening to them, right? But Abraham is living it out. And so here's the thing, as much as Abraham loved his son... As much as this pained him to even think about doing this, as much as he thought, what kind of parent? I'm a monster for even thinking about this, for even saying God told me to do this, for even walking one step toward that being a reality. In his spirit, deep down, Isaac was already as good as dead. But it didn't really matter because he believed that, I believe God so much that the only thing that probably could not happen at the end of the story is the only thing that I believe is going to happen. That I believe that if God asked me to do something that is impossible, he's going to make a way. Abraham had that kind of faith. He was willing to believe God no matter what, because he believed God would keep his promise no matter what. So, do you believe God no matter what? Do you believe, do you have a, a no matter what kind of faith this morning? And maybe you're facing something, you're like, yep. I do, and my life is proof of that. That is amazing. Hopefully that faith is so contagious. Everybody around you is just so affected by that. But do you have a no matter what faith? Are you ready and willing to follow through on your faith like Abraham did? There's no going back. There's no plan B. I'm risking everything. If this doesn't really follow through like I hope it does or think it might, it's over. Hope is gone. Do we have no matter what faith? Let's look at the rest of the story. And again, if you know the story, you know how it ends, but let's read it anyway. Pick it up at verse number 11. So he's got the knife ready. I mean, he's, he's ready to kill his son and then burn him for a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your own son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your own son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. So here we see at the end of the story, Abraham's faith recognized and rewarded. Abraham's faith recognized and rewarded because he's got the knife ready to go, ready to dagger down on his only son, the only chance that he has to actually do anything that God's called him to do already. So what he repeats after this happens, he's already been promised, yet he's willing to risk it. And so now it's reaffirmed. So he's ready to, he's ready to just, do his son in. And all of a sudden, the angel's like, whoa, okay, okay, dude, dude, you are crazy. Like, you're literally crazy, Abraham. Like, Abe, stop, stop. Okay, okay, I get it. You're serious about God. Like, you're serious about your faith. I get it. Okay, calm down. Put the knife down. Walk away. Okay, he was recognized for his faith. And then his faith was rewarded because God came through. He didn't make him go through with this terrible thing. And he provided a sacrifice then to still Offer worship to God, He provided a way. So let me just encourage us with this this morning. In your life, in your walk of faith, through all the doubts and questions and the waiting and the worrying and the hand wringing, God recognizes your faith. We'll talk about a little bit next week uh, how much faith we need. It's not very much. Like you may think, I'm almost out of hope. Hey, if you've still got any in the tank, that's all you need. Hey, I've only got one little sliver of hope left. That's all you need. Hey, my hope's almost run out. Was it completely run out? No. Well, that's all you need. So God recognizes your faith. Even if it's weak, even if it's failing, even if it's nearly non existent, God recognizes your faith. You are not alone in your journey of faith, you're not alone in the situation that you're facing. God recognizes your faith. And just like he did with Abraham, God will reward your faith. Now, for some of us, it may be like Abraham. God may come through and perform a miracle. God may come through at the 11th hour and perform a miracle. God may do what doctors said can't be done, what other people said will never happen, what someone else has said, no, it's impossible. God may do that for you. And if he does, that's great. But if it doesn't happen in the here and now, God will still reward your faith. Because an answer... uh, Maybe in the future, it may be even in eternity. Let me give you an example of this. So we were on vacation a couple of weeks ago and on the way from um to the airport, it's about an hour drive. So we had an Uber. Um and let me just tell you this: if you really want people to open up their whole life story to you, tell them you're a pastor. Okay? If you really want to be nosy and not even have to ask a question, just tell people, hey, I'm a pastor, and they will tell you everything about themselves, okay? Uh, it's like every neighbor we have, if I'm a pastor, I know everything about them now, you know? And so this guy who is our Uber driver, his name's Craig, uh, of course, three minutes in, we talk about football for a few minutes, and then all of a sudden, we have an hour, got to fill it, so he's like, hey, what do you do for a living? And Kim and I have had this conversation before, where we've said, maybe you should say you're something else at first, Uh, like say, well, I'm a life coach, or you know, whatever. I'm like, well, uh, with this guy, it would work because I'll never see him again. But like with my neighbors, if I lie to them and then tell them later, yeah, I'm a pastor, that's probably not the best uh, way to start out a conversation with your neighbors. But so I just, you know, I just bite the bullet and say, I'm a pastor. I say, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, that's cool. And then guess what? His whole, life, his whole spiritual journey comes out. His whole life story comes out. And it's cool and it's neat. And I just embrace it. And I just love listening. So that's great. That's fine. Tell me. So tell me a story about his mom just passed away back in April. And she battled with Alzheimer's for a couple of years, and it just went down really fast. And, and he said, you know what, I, you know, I went to church some when I grew up. My mom was very religious, and, you know, I, I believe in God and all this, but I never was, like, really, really into it. And he's like, but you know what, he's like, the, the last two years taught me a lot. And I was getting ready to be like, I hate God and all this stuff. He's like, Here, here's what I learned the last two years. What I've learned is to grow in patience, because, and my grandmother, my own grandmother died with Alzheimer's over 10 years ago, and so I I know the decline, I know what it looks like, I know how that works, and so he's describing things that I know very well, and so he's saying, you know, having to take care of her, having to shift my entire life around, having to, you know, even like move to help care for her as long as we could, Uh, he and his sister kind of took turns housing her so she didn't have to be in a home, and and, uh, so he's awesome and so he's like i learned patience through this i learned you know i learned how to be humble through this and i learned so many great lessons that i don't know i would have learned otherwise if this hadn't have happened and i said that's a really good attitude craig like that's amazing like that you don't hear that very often people are like when tragedy happens i gave up on faith and i hate god and i don't care your pastor get out of my uber car you know uh and but he he learned through that so here's the thing he probably prayed for his mom to be healed. And it didn't happen, but it did. You see what I'm saying? Like, she's a person. if she's a person of faith like he said she was, she doesn't have that disease anymore. She's in perfect health. She's healthier than she's ever been in her life. She's doing jumping jacks and cartwheels in, in heaven, all right? So it didn't happen here, and he's not blaming God for that. He learned through the struggle. He learned through the situation. He, he personally gained something from his own pain, from his mother's pain and, and decline. So I would just encourage us to have that attitude of faith as well, that my faith is not contingent upon conditions about when this miracle will happen or even if this miracle will happen. My faith is just my faith that God does not change, that God is powerful, that God is for me, that God will come through in his way, in his time. That's faith. That's Faith. So if you're if the reward is if God rewards your faith now, that's great. But let me just tell you, it's temporary. Because, let me give you a quick example. I wouldn't plan on saying this, but we're, we're almost done. So when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, that's cool, right? That's a miracle. That cannot happen. He's been dead four days. But guess what? That miracle was temporary. Why? Because Lazarus had to die again for good. He didn't stay alive forever. He didn't get transported into heaven. He died again. So it was a cool miracle. It was great. God was honored. Jesus was glorified, but it was temporary. But if the miracle, if the answer, if the reward of our faith is later, it's eternal. It's a guarantee. It will happen. So let's not, again, make these contingencies about, well, God, I've got the timetable. If you don't come through, I'm out. Okay, God, it's got to look like this, this, and this. you got to follow this path and pattern. If you don't, I'm out. That's not what faith looks like. So as we close, let me just ask one more question, then we'll, then we'll get done today. The question is this, what is your Isaac? Think about this story. What sacrifice may God ask of you that will require great faith? What situation may you be placed in where it requires great faith? What may God, what maybe for some of you, what is God asking of you that requires faith? And maybe you've been resistant Maybe you've said, well, that can't be God. He would never say that. Well, he asked Abraham to kill his own son. He can ask some weird things, all right, because he can do some great things. So what are those things that maybe God's asking you to lay down? What are those, maybe even it's a relationship that is just not good for your life, and you think, well, I don't want to sever ties, and I don't want to do that. And again, you know, wives, don't elbow your husbands. We're not talking about that relationship, okay, as much as they cause you, you know, all that sort of pain and stuff. That's not what we're talking about but what is that? Maybe that person is just dragging you down. They're sucking your life out you. They're sucking your faith out. They're, they're having sort of a more negative effect on you than you are a positive effect on them. Is God asking you to maybe distance that relationship? It's an unhealthy situation, maybe. It's painful. There's a loss. There's a cost, but maybe that's what he's asking. Maybe it's a, a career decision. Maybe you're ready to make a move, and God's saying, don't go anywhere i got a plan for you right here. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're comfortable where you are and things are good where you are and the pay is just right. Maybe God's stretching you to go in a different direction with your career. And you're saying, no, it's comfortable, and I get paid well, and I know how to do the job, and I like my coworkers. And God's like, I don't care about any of that stuff. I'm asking you to do this for a different reason. Maybe God's asking that of us today. Maybe it's just a big life decision that we've been wrestling with. I don't know if I should or if I shouldn't, but you, deep down you know, because God's confirmed it in your spirit over and over again. don't Let's be like Abraham and Isaac. Neither one of them resisted. Abraham moved immediately, and Isaac didn't resist as far as we know at all. He let old dad tie him up and lay him on the altar and was ready to just be done in. He was ready, willing, by faith. Maybe it's a certain, maybe it's a, a possession or a thing that you just can't, maybe God's saying, hey, like the rich young ruler, hey, sell that and give the money to the poor, right? Do something good with your stuff. And you're just like, no, I need my stuff, and I need, you know, I don't, I don't like space. I don't like, I like clutter, God. God's like, no, I don't like clutter. Get rid of it. Maybe it is. Whatever it is, are you willing to sacrifice that thing, that person, that relationship, that situation, that career in faith? Are you willing to be obedient as Isaac was, as Abraham was? And if we do, we can trust that God will take care of us. We can allow our faith to be contagious to those around us. We can know that God recognizes and rewards our faith. Not even what we do, but the faith that is behind the action, behind the sacrifice. Again, works don't save. Works are meaningless. But the heart behind it, the faith behind it is all God's looking for. He wants to see and recognize and reward our.